The Incomparable Podcast, number 104, August 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight's topic is being a parent. I have assembled a panel of incomparable panelists who are parents, uh, like I am, and I thought we would talk a little bit about uh, what we, the decisions we make as parents uh, for what we, uh, what we expose our kids to in terms of the media that we talk about on this show, what, in terms of movies and TV and comics and books and things like that. What are the decisions that we make? What are the things that we're kind of gleefully expecting to uh, and, and anticipating exposing our children to? What stuff are we trying to protect them from uh, and and the like? So uh, it's all about being a parent and having kids on The Incomparable. So my panel tonight, first off, Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me. You have two daughters yes two daughters thank you uh and their ages uh six and four six and four all right Mm -hmm. also joining us is ben boychuk ben you have a son and a daughter can you give me their ages please yes my son benjamin is 10 and my daughter isabella is four wow all right. I can't believe Benjamin's 10. I can't Holy believe that either. I know, but, but, I know. Time flies. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, those 10-year-olds, it is amazing. That voice you heard is Lisa Schmeiser. Lisa has a daughter who is one year old. Yes. Yes, she is. She's almost two, actually. Almost she's two. 21 months. That's crazy. I can't believe she's almost two. Well, my question is, at what age do I stop referring to her in, in terms of months? When did you guys make the shift? Because Two. Two. Yeah, you, don't cross, you don't cross 24. Yeah. That's the rule. Okay. <laughs> the voice you heard there is John Syracuse, who has a son and a daughter, correct? That's right. I have an eight-year-old boy named Alex and a five-year-old girl named Kate. All right. Excellent. And Steve Lutz is also here. Believe it or not, Steve Lutz has children. <laughs> yes, I successfully breeded. Bravo. It's a shock to all. And, and, uh, and are... Do you have a boy and a girl, or both, or both girls? I do have one of each. One of I each. Have a nine-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. Five-year-old son, excellent. Also joining us is Glenn Fleischman. Glenn, you have two sons. What are their ages? Five and one just turned eight a couple days ago. Yes, yes. I should say that that uh, that uh, Glenn's son and my son were born on the same day. The actual wow. same day. It was they a harmonic convergence. It's really cool. I can find out anything Jason's planning on his editorial calendar by asking Ben. Yeah. It's very useful. It's just it goes from Ben, from Glenn to Ben to Julian to me and then back. It's amazing. And I should say that I have two children. Uh, my daughter, Jamie, is 10 and my son, Julian, just turned eight. So, which is pretty crazy. So... So that's that's the readout. Those are those are the facts. So um, I don't know. I, I guess the first thing I, I think I'd like to ask you guys is: uh, Was there something, you know, and this could be something that's already happened or something that's in your future. You know, what, is there something that you've particularly been anticipating or really anticipated in terms of? Oh, I can't wait to to show this thing that I love to my kids because they're going to love it. Um, and I'm interested in hearing how that went too, because I'd imagine I'd imagine sometimes you you discover uh, that they don't care about it I, I, as much as you would hope. And my example would be that I showed my 
um, my daughter Star Wars, I think a little bit too early. And mm-hmm. I explained I explained to her that it had a princess in it, which probably was overselling it just a tad. And mm-hmm. and um, she found it incredibly boring. And I think this was when she was maybe, I don't know, five or six. And I waited another year or two and showed it to her again. And then she thought it was great. But uh, but I remember being really disappointed that I I had had the... I'd held out and not shown her Star Wars, even though there were toys and she'd seen the the, the people, uh, the characters and the, all of that. I held out and I thought, okay, now, now I can show it to her. This is going to be a momentous uh, time in my life where I'm finally showing my daughter Star Wars. And she was like totally bored and would have rather just watched, you know, The Little Mermaid or Sleeping Beauty again. So that's mine. But uh, so, and of course, it's a sad story. But I'm just wondering what <laughs> what, what you guys that you brought down the room anticipated. I, I or... made a similar mistake. Oh yeah. Um, I I I let my son watch all six in order. Uh, I mean, in one to six, which was a mistake. So I you started gone, with the prequels. I should have. Yeah, I should have. Well, I should never have exposed him to the prequels at all. Um, because that was yeah, that's uh, that's child abuse. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that I, I, you know, I, but not only child abuse, I had to relive. Uh, you know, I, I had to experience another two weeks of depression, uh, having having seen those again. But um, uh, yeah, he preferred the prequels to the originals, and uh, and I realized at that point that I was a terrible, terrible father. I, I won't make the I won't make the same mistake with Bella, but uh, um, you you live and you learn. See, I expected this would be the moment that John John Syracuse would would uh, explain his detailed um, his detailed strategy for keeping the prequels away from his children. I'm just I'm just silently shaking my head. It's like, it's <laughs> terrible, terrible decision. Like this is what's weird about those decisions. It's not like you didn't know. Like everyone here knew I know. what. Like we we knew about the prequels. The kids are born. This is we're talking about. After the prequels came out, we knew that these things were out there and that they were dangerous for our children. And you just you you chose <laughs> you chose to bring that into your home. Like no one twisted your arm. It's not like you're talking about sharing something you love. What how, how are you sharing something you love by including something that every right thinking person hates in, at the same time? Well, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I tell you what I wanted to do. I I I wanted to teach a lesson. <laughs> what lesson are you trying to Good teach? and bad taste. Uh, Is this tough love? I, <laughs> Son, I'm disappointed in your report card. Sit down because it's time for the Clone Wars. <laughs> it's for your own good. I was wrong. I was wrong. I failed. Well, it's, Jason, the question's kind of intriguing because... I was thinking that for me, one of the hardest things is going to be sitting back and letting my daughter come to her own independent judgment on the things that I think are cool or really like. Right. Um, for example, I've saved nearly all of my childhood books and I thought, well, I could try and, and cram them down her throat with, oh, you've got to read this. This is so great. Or I could hope that she discovers them on her own and then talk to her about them. But I was thinking about how one of the biggest pleasures of my childhood was discovering different books on my own and discovering different TV shows on my own. And the idea of getting to know my own taste was, was really, you know, I think it's one of the biggest thrills you can have as a developing person. And it's different from the experience you have when your parents sit you down to watch a movie that they love. And, and you're like, okay, you know, cause, cause my parents would get upset if my brother and I got up and walked out during the middle of a movie that was not showing on, on Saturday afternoon, or if we made fun of it or if we couldn't understand what the big deal was. So 
I thought that perhaps the best approach is to make sure the stuff is just kind of lying around the house. And if she picks it up or she happens to watch it, great. But I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to inculcate her with my taste, if that makes sense. You know, I, I, I would rather that she, I, I would rather do what I can to, to, to help her develop her own taste. And, and with luck, we'll have some overlap. But you have to bear in mind I'm talking about somebody who thinks that C is for cookies is the highest form of like, art in the land right now. Yeah, coming up to two, you've still got time to uh, to swerve <laughs> and realize, oh, God, I need to do something now or this is going to go really horribly wrong. <laughs> now, well, you know, we're in a totally different period because we don't let her watch TV. So, um, you know, we have all that stuff still ahead of us where what TV do we let her watch or what movies can we see? Um but is there something that you've got that you're thinking, I can't wait until I can show this to her when she's, whether it's TV or a book or whatever? The Incredibles. Okay, yeah, fine. I'll I'll, I'll bend. I can't wait to show her The Incredibles or A Bug's Life or Ratatouille or any or, or very nearly any of the other Pixar movies. There there are exceptions, but... Uh... <laughs> sure, but generally. <laughs> yeah. The, the brave? I'm not showing her Brave, but the rest are right. fine. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, Steve, anything in particular that you have, you know, shown your kids or have anticipated one day being able to share with your kids? You know, weirdly enough, I think most of the stuff that, um, you know, the Star Wars is and the Indiana Joneses of the, of the world, at least as far as movies are concerned, we've kind of already shown them. I mean, my daughter's nine, so she seemed like she was kind of ready for all that stuff. And the five-year-old, you know, you can't really make him leave the room. There's really no way to prevent a five-year-old boy from being wherever he wants to be unless you physically chain him up in the yard to a post or something. Backyard so the neighbors can't see, right? Generally, yeah, unless we want to send a message to the neighbors as well. <laughs> so most of that stuff, I mean, we've done uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I busted out with Monty Python uh, a couple of months ago, and um, we watched a couple episodes of Flying Circus, and they... They actually enjoyed that, surprisingly. See, that was going to be my question is, is you've deployed these things that are beloved, but did they work? To some extent. Well, Monty Python, obviously, they they like the silly sketches. They love Confuse a Cat, you know, where there's just insane stuff going on. I think it kind of appeals to their sort of general insanity that children always live in. Um, They're... You know, it's interesting. My son has actually experienced most of these things through um, through the Lego video games. Oh, yeah. He's played through Lego Star Wars. He's played through Lego Pirates of the Caribbean. He's played through Lego Harry Potter. And uh, when we watch the movies, most of the time he'll say something along the lines of, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's um, chapter four, uh, episode three or whatever. You know, he'll, he'll name whichever portion of the Lego game it is. So his, oh, his experience first was pretty much always the Lego game and then the movie second. Well, my but kids haven't seen any of the Indiana Jones movies yet, but they know the plots of all, of all three of the original movies because there you of go. Lego. Yeah. My nephews are the same with Batman. They, they know all, they know Batman's entire rogues gallery. Right. From Lego Batman. Oh yeah. 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 yeah my kids too. The, every Lego game. They have it, and they've committed it to memory. And Lego Star Wars, which is really the only um, serious prequel. Well, they've seen two of the prequels, but you know, only like once, and then we thought better of it. But they know the plot from the Lego games. Really, of the of the couple of things that I'm still waiting to share with my kids, uh, one of them is music. And that's just simply because, as far as I can tell, kids don't really get music until they, they start to get angsty. And uh, and then it actually kind of makes some sense to them, apart from, you know, they, they'll jump around the room to Kids Bop or whatever, or 
Actually, my daughter's very into uh, top 40 pop music, which is one place where I have failed her miserably already. Everybody, everybody has to go through that, right? You, you... Yeah. But in terms of actually sitting down and enjoying music with my kids, that hasn't happened yet. I'm really looking forward to that. And then, uh, and then possibly coming up this October, I might slowly start to introduce my daughter to uh, some horror movies. Ooh, wow. Which is something that... Uh, which is something that I shared with my mom as I was growing up because we both were very into horror movies. and You don't like to sleep is what you're saying. You, don't, you like to be wakened at 2 a.m. by crying children. Well, well, that's the reason we've avoided them to date. My dad shared his favorite horror movie with me at 13, when I was 13. And what was that? The Exorcist. Oh, that's a good one to start with. Oh, my God. Yeah, for, first first horror movie I ever saw. I was 13. Oh. <laughs> to, and and I I can't I can't handle it to this day. I would say that was a bad move on Dad's part. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- what makes it worse is we were Catholic, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was all true. You believed it was right. gospel truth, more or less, based on yes. the true story. Yes, yeah. They do the based on the true story, and you know we had seen the Georgetown steps, and then my dad's like, oh, you know, urban legend has it that bad things happened on the set, and and <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I I slept with the lights on for like a week after that. (laughs) Steve, what what would you introduce your daughter to in horror? How would you do that? I don't know. I'm not sure. That's that's something that I'm I'm kind of playing with right now because Mm -hmm. certainly you could go with maybe the Universal monster movies, but those are so cheesy. You know, they're they're not really actually scary, and I'm not sure they'd even be entertaining at this point to a to a modern kid. Although perhaps they would, just because she she really hasn't been exposed to much along those lines. Um, what I have been doing lately is we've been sitting down and watching the occasional Twilight Zone episode. Oh, oh, excellent! Ah. And I think that serves as a pretty good starter. We've we've gone through right now. We haven't done anything that's super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched uh, Time Enough at Last, the Burgess Meredith episode. Yes, where he smashes his glasses at the end. Yes, yes, I did that with my son. He it didn't take. Yeah, that was the first one my dad watched with me. And, uh, besides, so, yeah. besides which, as we've established, all Burgess Meredith needs to do is feel his way down to lens crafters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so she was she was suitably intrigued by that, which I was I was pleased with. That's that, encouraging. That, that made me very very happy. So we'll, we'll perhaps move into something. Uh, certainly not a modern horror movie because those have kind of gone over the top, as I think we discussed once before on this podcast. Yes, um, maybe <laughs> maybe we'll start in on Night of the Living Dead which is fairly subdued. It's black and white. That uh, Black and white, I think, takes it away a little bit. Wow. takes away some of the horror. Mm-hmm. Puts it in the mind instead of on the screen. It's much better. Right. Yeah. There's much maybe one or two scenes I'm a little concerned about just because they, they actually are a little bit gory. But the interesting thing is my daughter is very, very into uh, that kind of stuff. It's strange. We have a, We have kind of a an illustrated anatomy primer for kids. And she always seems to focus on like the skin diseases and (laughs) (laughs) flesh eating bacteria and that kind of thing. That's she's, she's very interested. She's your kid, Steve. She's, well, she's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She pretty much is. That's, that's great. I, I, um, last year, uh, we watched, uh, the the new season of Doctor Who as a family, which is the first time we'd sort of watched the episodes without screening them and sort of saying, well, you know, you might not like this one. It's a little scary. And of course, that's a show that is meant to be watched by families in, when in the UK. It's it's intended as a family show. And um, 
and we watched the first episode of last season, which has the silence, which are those scary big headed aliens that that kill people and are, and you can't remember them when you turn away from them and and uh and my son was like having nightmares and crawling into bed with us afterward and and my wife was very upset with me and i just was smiling cuz i'm like no it's a, he's supposed to be scared that's the whole point it's a rite it's, of passage it's part it's supposed to be gently scaring just a little bit scary dan do you have anything that you're particularly uh that you've been introducing to your to your daughters or or are planning to we haven't done too much with movies yet because our daughters are still a little young um as a matter of fact we took we took them both. My older daughter has seen Brave twice. And the first time she was fine. The second time she got really scared by all the violent scenes and the scary scenes. So, And the younger daughter, who insisted on going, um, said, oh, no, it's fine. I'm not scared. Ended up being really scared. So I think those kind of things are just a little early. So, yeah. Um, but we do have a lot of movies we want them to see. But right now, I think... The thing that we've been doing is introducing them to a lot of music because both my wife and I are huge music fans. Um, I mean, I grew up, you know, with music on 24 hours a day, even in class. You know, I'm the I'm the kid with the one earphone in his ear while the teacher's giving a lecture and stuff. So I was a big music fan growing up, and so to me, I think more than than like movies and TV shows, I want them to appreciate music and a wide range of it. And so far, we've been. We've been surprised. For one thing, they both love music. They always want us to turn music on. When they go to bed at night, they're asking for specific things. Um, they they know the lyrics to a lot of songs already, even though they're six and four, um, which is unfortunately why we bought a Kids Bop album, um, oh. because they were reciting lyrics that we didn't like them reciting. It's been fascinating watching my daughter try to learn the lyrics to songs, too, because yeah. she, she does that now. Yeah, I'm much more aware. And this is not just a music thing. This is just a general thing that I'm sure you can all agree with that I took lyrics, just lyrics and words in TV shows and the things in TV commercials. I just, they kind of just were there until I had kids. And now all of a sudden they're like, what did he say? Oh, wait, turn that off. You know, it's, I'm so much huh. more aware now of what is being said in every Yeah, but you context. can't do that because then they immediately key off oh, yeah. of that. Yeah. And they know. Oh, right, right. Oh, something yeah. was said. There's a, a classic YouTube video called Help the Police, which is a British couple driving with their kids in the back, and the F the Police song comes on the radio, and <laughs> and and he just keeps his hand on the dial, and they substitute in Help the Police and other ways you can be friendly and help the police <laughs> as they turn down the right. volume every time there's a bad word. And I've I had find myself doing a happen. lot of uh, loud, unexpected coughing as oh, we yeah. right. down the, road with the radio. <laughs> right, no, because you're right. I mean, you can't you can't just all of a sudden reach for the radio and turn it off, and then they say, "What what's wrong?" And you're like. Oh, that was words we don't want to hear because then they want to hear them, right? I, no, I agree. So we we try to subtly, you know, steer attention away. But uh, but but music is a big thing for us, and so that's that's what we're we're excited that our kids are liking music, and we're excited to introduce them to more things as they get older. Who have I left out? John Syracuse. Do you have a, do you have any uh, tales of introducing your kids to things that you love, or 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 things that you're planning on? that you've strategized about well, on the star wars front mostly what i was concerned about was not so much like oh i need my kids to see star wars and like it like i do although you know of course you have that feeling my main concern was to ensure that what they thought of as star wars was 
what I thought of as Star Wars. <laughs> and so I knew that once they came became school-aged and like got older, all their friends who have parents that don't know these rules are, are going to be telling them about you know the prequels. And so I had to I had to cement in their little minds that Star Wars is Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, C-3PO, you know, like I had to, like that is Star Wars. So that by the time they inevitably enter the world of their peers in kindergarten and, you know, and regular elementary school and all their friends tell them about all this prequel stuff, that will be like, like ex- expanded universe. John, if you don't explain the prequels to your kids, they're only going to hear about it on the street, man. <laughs> That's the thing. I knew they were going to hear about it from their friends. I just wanted to really lay down those tracks of like, this is what Star Wars is. And I almost didn't care so much if they were like excited and liked it or whatever. I just wanted them to think of their Star Wars. And then there's this other crazy stuff. And I know it's weird to use expanded universe to explain this because expanded universe is a real thing within the Star Wars universe. But I'm I'm trying to say let's let's push the prequels out. Into right. There's universe. there's the canon. I- Right, there's, and then there's the like sort of non, you know, not really canon. Right, and Let's I would like push to those push those out the, there. Push the prequels because there's this Star Wars games, like they play Lego Star Wars, all those things. I'm like, yeah, that's nice to have. So what I did was I showed them. This is the, like the Star Wars version of the Nicene Creed, where you've just decided what's doctrine and what's right. not. It's it's well, it's, yeah. Star, it's Star Wars Amish. I think he's raising them as Star Wars Amish. We believe we believe in one Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away, where Luke Skywalker is the protagonist. I believe in three Star Wars. So I showed my my son my son a New Hope oh my first. God, the, the Trinity. The, the Trinity. The whole yeah, <laughs> you know, you run the risk of having the ostracized kids who can't talk the prequels with their little friends on the playground. Be, yeah. Like the kids who didn't have TV. <laughs> They're going to start knocking on doors. Have you heard the call? Doesn't anyone else have a, like imagine the little Syracuse on the playground, like chastising his 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 fellow six year olds that like this is not. <laughs> there are no the other real movies besides. There are only three movies that involve Star Wars. Shut the unbelievers! Only Shut the three. unbelievers! In the name of the sun. <laughs> And of the father. That's impossible. And of the force. (laughs) And the floating Yoda. See, I I wasn't trying to turn them into, like, preachers for this gospel type thing. All you have to do is just expose them to the the original movies. And it's not... Inoculate them, perhaps. Well, see, the kids, you know... I, I didn't I didn't want them to go out there like I knew they were going to be told about those other movies and I'm I was sure that those other movies were going to appeal to them I just wanted to get there first basically right. and so I showed showed my children a new hope when they were old enough to to take it, it was, it's not particularly scary but you know it's kind of exciting whatever and I let that settle in I let them you know hey can I watch Star Wars again and they would just I would just keep showing them a new hope over and over again like and every time they would ask for Star Wars I would show them a new hope and then when my son was older I said okay now he's ready for Empire probably maybe I showed it to him a little bit too early but I was there with him he made it through he was okay and then same type of deal you can see Empire a few times I tried to simulate the experience of like uh don't just throw all, all three at once like I, I let him know after he'd seen the first Star Wars movie umpteen times, like, you know, there's another one of these. And he's like, really? Oh, cool. I'll, I'll watch that. Right. And then after Empire, he was a little shaken up and we watched Empire until we became comfortable with it or whatever. Then a little bit later, it's like, you want to see how the story turns out? And then the final one. I think that simulated in compressed form the proper experience of Star Wars, which is to watch the three movies with some sort of gap between them, which when you're, you know, three and four and five years old. Those gaps seem, you know, even though it's like two months, it seems like a long time. I'm starting to picture scenes from Walden 2 here as you describe <laughs> this. 
I mean, well, I did you, enjoy how, did you, how did you get the eye hooks on their eye, top and bottom eyelids? <laughs> did you drip like, while they're watching that, the first? That's three the movies? thing. I I let them like you no, know I didn't I didn't push the movies on them. I I showed them like you know you'd show them like the case for the, the DVD and say if you're interested in this or whatever. Like and <laughs> if you're interested, and, if you like and they said no. The the first couple times I showed both of them. They weren't they weren't interested in it at all. So I said, "All right, you're not interested." You know, I definitely did not push it on them. I wanted them to come to it in the same type of way. And eventually, the, the, here's the bad thing about this: eventually, they got through them, and now it's like, "Oh, Star Wars, that's old hat." Like they're out of that phase already, and they're like, uh, he's, "He's eight years old, and Star Wars is old hat." He's moved on to like ma- magic cards or whatever. You know, I would suggest you take it a step further and use actual aversion therapy. So you show them the first three movies in sort of terrifying, horrible circumstances, and. <laughs> Oh wait, that's a legal problem. Yeah, probably. That, that's so. just showing them the first movies. That's, oh, that's that's, they they yeah, come packed in with the experience. I tried yeah, that. Didn't this is work. A sad, sad <laughs> fact of the modern world we live in that there's so much other entertainment available that you never really sit down and focus on one thing. I mean, all we had was Star Wars, man. Yeah. Unless you wanted to enjoy uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. That's <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Every time we watched it, the you, videotape got a little worse. Got a little worse. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little stretched out. Now the um, I, I think one of the problems with the prequels is and there are so many but one of them is if you if you start with the prequels you end up with this idea that this is a story about this kid who grows up to be Darth Vader which is is a totally different take on it than if you think it's the story of this kid Luke Skywalker and this bad guy Darth Vader and the other problem with the prequels is if you try to watch them in in the correct order the third movie is PG-13 you know third movie is rough third movie is is way rougher than the other five yeah. And uh, you know, my kids haven't seen episode 3 and we do have it in the house. We are not a kosher family like the Syracuses, but um <laughs> we've got it in our house too. I just have never seen it. <laughs> it's in the vault. Yeah. No, it's yeah. sitting on the shelf next to all the other movies. They can go up there at any time, yeah. read the oh spines and say, "Look at that Star Wars episode so 3." <laughs> Yeah. But nope. but but the thing I've about episode three is 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 that too. So you, if you want to watch them one through six, I I have a problem with with that third episode because it's it's um it's rougher. It's just it's it's a darker thing. And and for our kids, you know, I, I'm trying. We've seen a few PG thirteen movies, but you know, especially with really violent stuff, I'm a little hesitant. And and you know, my son is super sensitive to. Uh, scary sound effects and scary music and actually more than things that he sees he hears like this music and he's like oh no something bad's going to happen and he kind of is afraid of it so so I, I consider that episode three kind of a roadblock to taking that approach anyway I got to say that compared to episode three because Benjamin's seen episode three and, and actually that one didn't leave that much of an impression on him um, no compared to that um, Tron Tron Legacy actually uh, left a greater impact Tron Tron Legacy cost me twelve hundred dollars because. Um, Did you buy a light up suit? Is that how that worked? No, no. Therapy. <laughs> um, Did a frisbee Therapy. come through your house and smash no. things? You have your own virtual reality chamber. He, we saw the movie. He enjoyed it very much, and that night uh, he came in uh, into to to bed with us, and uh, had a vivid dream and fell out of bed and. Split his head open. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, did you sue the did you sue the filmmaker? I blame Jeff no. Bridges. <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, it, but uh, his ex- explanation later, and this was the all this was the all time great line though. Um, this is what makes this a funny story. He said, "Tron Legacy was just too epic." <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't go too. You can't be too epic. It was just too epic, and and he spilled blood for Tron Legacy. So uh, epic fail. 
<laughs> speaking of speaking of Tron, this is the weird thing we were just talking about with the Lego Star Wars and how a lot of our kids end up seeing the things, not the source material, but the derived properties, like the video games or whatever. It, mm-hmm. It's it maybe it's because we're old and we want our children to be interest franchises that we saw when we were kids, and their first exposure is probably going to be through a child's television show or a toy or a video game, but. Uh, I had the same thing with Tron. Tron Uprising is a cartoon series uh, that my son has started watching. And he doesn't, I had to tell him, you know, that's based on a movie. And there was two movies and like explain all the backstory or whatever. But I think a lot of kids today are seeing reused properties, but not in their original form. Uh, like if it, te- uh, television shows based on books or, yeah, and, and, or television shows based on movies, which are based on books. And I don't know if that's because of like Hollywood sequelitis, the remake of the Beverly Hillbillies instead of the classic original. <laughs> yeah, there's an entire generation of teeny boppers who are under the impression that if a song hasn't appeared on Glee, it doesn't exist. Um, oh, no. no, my nie- oh. my four- my 14 year old niece um, was watching the Glee Project, and uh, one of the children came on to Catterall, "Son of a Preacher Man," and I was sort of singing along under my breath. And my niece turns to look at me, and she goes, "You've heard of this song?" <laughs> and I said, honey, I need to tell you about a little lady named Dusty Springfield, because that is where this song started. It did not start with Ryan Murphy, but they're, you know, my niece and her cohort are under the impression that a song isn't legitimate unless or until it's been featured on Glee. It's the same thing where you've got the source material, but it's remixed and repackaged for kids. I'll tell you, John, I've got an example also, which is my five-year-old Rex uh, suddenly become uh, fascinated with superheroes which to him are all new. Like he's stunned that I know anything about them. Of course, <laughs> it's the classic canon. It's you know Wonder Woman, Superman, and the DC Dad, canon. Dad, oh, did you Lantern. know that there are super powerful creatures named superheroes? And the properties have changed so much; it's very complicated too. Because you know Wonder Woman flies now, and the last number of years, and so forth. But the deal was that his preschool, one of the kids started reading. I don't think comic books, but some of these pre ones. So Rex got very interested in these. I can read books that are. You know, taking uh, the stripped down comic book format that may be more adult oriented these days and putting it into a kid friendlier format. But the deal is the story is the same. It's like all this incredibly terrifying looking characters doing stuff. This language is like, you know, Lex Luthor is bad. Lex Luthor yeah. wants to take over the Earth. Lex Luthor fights Superman. He uses kryptonite, which can hurt Superman. Superman bashes Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor <laughs> loses. He is sad. But I've taken, here's what I'm using as an educational lesson. I'll say to Rex, Rex, okay, so. Why does someone want to run the world? That seems like a lot of trouble. Why does Lex Luthor want to be in charge? He's a bad guy. He's a villain. Super villains like to break things. I'm like, but isn't that a lot of effort? What's his goal? Like, no, no, daddy, 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 he says. You understand? He's bad. He's a bad man. He's a super villain. And super villains, they like to blow up things. I'm like, oh, so they're evil? It's like, yes, they're evil. They're super villains. Like, so they, you know, running the world, that's not, no, it doesn't matter. They just like to break things. But I'm trying to use it as lessons to explicate on the spectrum of evil in, in the world we live in. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Not sure. I'm not sure how well that's going to go. It's, catechism hasn't gone so well so far. Because, you know, I think in reality, I've, I've promulgated this theory before in previous episodes of The Incomparable, is that, is that one of the problems with things like Harry Potter is that I don't think evil exists in the, in the real world to a large extent. I think everyone believes that they are well-intentioned no matter how uh, horribly they're behaved. And so books in which evil is actually portrayed, I find unrealistic from that standpoint. I'd rather see very nuanced, well-meaning parties that are acting in their own interests and think or pretend they're acting well. So Rex and I are working on that. D- Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, Lex Luthor it had a had a difficult childhood. You don't understand. Lex <laughs> Luthor just wants to be loved, Daddy. Daddy, he just wants Superman to say that he's okay and that it doesn't matter that he's bald. <laughs> that, 
Daddy, Lex, Daddy. Lex Luthor didn't get dessert, Daddy. That's what happened The there. non-canonical nature of these I Can Read books, like, I have a real problem that they're teaching kids the wrong things about hero mythos. That, that Superman, you know, it just, I don't like the Kryptonite hurts Superman? What are you talking about? It does, but there's just parts of it. Lex Luthor's story, sad when he loses? Of course For some he reason, is. Jimmy Olsen's on the top of the Daily Planet, like, with his camera just shooting people on the ground through his telephoto lens to look for a story. No newspaper reporter does that. Let me tell you. Well, Jimmy Olsen. Well, I guess you're sorry. We're already talking about a world in which a newspaper is still a viable employer, though, so you may as well suspend most Uh, of the laws of reality. He's he's the last employee. He and Lois Lane are the only two people working at the Daily Planet still, apparently. Julian's got a book like that. It's the Spider-Man. It's like the Spider-Man 3 book, and that's a terrible movie, but the book is amusing because it's sort of like, this is Peter. Peter, it's so perfect in that it's like, Peter is sad. Peter Peter wants to do good as Spider-Man, but nobody likes him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. I can't Good argue. Pete we have points. some of those books, too, and I, it makes me sad to, like, I know they're to teach your kid to read, but I'm like, that's a that's a gross oversimplification. <laughs> story. <laughs> I know you can only fit three words in this page, but those are not the three words. Venom was not created like that. John, this is a profound moment. You and I are in complete accord yeah. at this moment, John, and I think we should just have a moment of celebration over that. Yeah, it's an gross, amazing time. Gross oversimplification of the Spider-Man <laughs> slash Superman mythos. That's right. Now, on the other hand, my older boy has has read Harry Potter. He's read the first four, uh, and he's a uh, he's a good reader. And he's got some friends his age who are who are even um, you know stronger readers. And some have read like the entire Harry Potter canon. And I'm always sort of stunned by that. Ben is eight, just turned eight. And his friends are right around the same age. And, uh, you know, I had, I shouldn't say I had difficulties as an adult reading Harry Potter, but there's some pretty serious stuff in the middle of the nonsense. Uh, even when you get to book four, we, we were only allowed to read books one, two, and three initially. And he kind of knew the plot of four and we let him read it and we talked to him about it. We made sure we had him read it earlier in the day so he wouldn't read it just before bedtime. And he didn't really have, it's sort of cartoony enough and it's the magic part and everything that I don't think the death part really resonated with him in the same way that someone being hurt in watching something visually would have gotten him. Um, like some of the videos that we've shown Ben in the past, he hasn't seen any, I mean, he's really seen the Muppet movie was actually almost too much for him. Oh, wow. What, he's very sensitive. I've got two Muppet sensitive movie. boys. The, the newer one, we try to oh. watch night. We try to watch the, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, you know, from 30 years ago. And my younger boy found it terrifying. Oh, there is some, maybe scary there's ghosts. There's some stuff they do that's a little whatever. And, and Ben wasn't totally, he was fine with it. He wasn't totally into it. My, my fellas are, my fellas are sensitive in a way that I hope the world won't crush them. So at some point I want to habituate them a little bit more. And over time we try to show them things that are a little more difficult or a little not scary, but just a little harder to take because otherwise, you know, they're going to be absolutely destroyed by, mainstream culture and i would prefer that not happen to them wow what was it about the uh, and remind me because i've seen i've seen the muppet the 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 latest Muppets. muppets but what was it what was it about the new one that was particularly disturbing because I don't there's remember. There's conflict. There's conflict. I, like, conflict. My younger boy gets has trouble with it, really any conflict. Like we're like we've actually said to him things like you know this is made for kids your age and do you think anyone's going to die? He's like no. You think anyone's really going to get hurt in a movie that's made for you? I mean sometimes we've had that with even like Bob the Builder. There'll be something that comes up where <laughs> something bad. You know they're like there's some episodes and there's specials like the Christmas and someone's lost and you know can't the radio doesn't work or whatever. You're like they're really not going to freeze to death. This is Bob the Builder. I don't recall a Bob. There, there was that episode of Bob's Builder where where one of the trucks was crushed by a load of concrete. So, a very Bob special the Builder, Bob episode. builds the Donner Pass Memorial yeah. episode. I was I don't know about that one. 
choices. But no, I think the Muppet movie, there's parts where uh, I'm blanking. There's Chris. Uh, Chris Cooper. Chris, Chris Cooper. Cooper. There Fantastic we go. Fantastic performer. Thank you, Chris Wikipedia. Cooper. How do we ever forget his name? Yeah, yeah. he is the, the maniacal laugh. That brings up an interesting point about uh, what our kids are ready to handle and everything like that. And I think this is one yeah. of the things I didn't realize before I became a parent is the insane variability and uh, what mm. different children of the same age are able to handle media wise, yeah. whether it's Insane. pictures versus reading things versus you know music or Very violence true. or scare. It's just unbelievable range where that I, I you know my, I know my children are just not. I, I people ask me what age did you show your kids this? Like I don't even feel like giving them advice because the variability is like a multiple of their age. Some right. things that kids can watch at eight, other kids can't watch until they're sixteen, like literally, right. and it. it, it it blows me away. Well, whenever I see John Gruber talking about what his son is watching, because uh, his son is uh, right about uh, my older boy's age, and he'll be yeah. like, "Yeah, we're just watching Apocalypse now for the sixth time." <laughs> He's three oh, years old. Like, really? The- no, I'm, well, I'm lying. But maybe not. Two thousand. It well, was he shows Space all, all the James Bond movies, which which yeah. a lot of kids oh, who yeah. are eight years old or nine years old can't handle, but some kids can. Like, and that's the thing. Like it. So, you know, some parents who just put their kids in front of any movie and they're like, I don't care. He'll be fine. And the poor kid yeah. has nightmares and they don't care. But, but uh, some kids, I think most people are being conscientious parents and they just know what their kid is able to well, handle. And exactly. Like, you know. this, this segment of the discussion is making me so grateful. I have a toddler and I haven't had to deal with that yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had a conversation with Ben uh, many years ago where he talked about how he had shown Spider-Man, the, the original movie, to Benjamin. Right. And that blew me away because um, – I think I think Julian still hasn't seen it because yeah. I, and there's just no way right. he could there's just no way he was going to be able to do it but different kids really react like I said with Julian it's a, a lot of it's the music but he's kind of sensitive to it and 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 other kids it's not a it's not a big deal at all so it it, it is insane like John said it's an insane amount of variation between kids yeah well I was I mean the the the, the apocalypse now example uh, was was one I actually wanted to bring up because I was thinking about this, before, you know, leading up to this podcast because you know the first time I saw Apocalypse Now uh, was was nineteen eighty one or eighty two, so I would have been like ten years old. Jesus, wow! And, well, my son is ten now, and there is yeah. no way. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to see Apocalypse. But, now. but did your parents know that you saw it? That's the thing. No, no. Yeah, like that's it. I saw many no. movies before I should have seen them, and I regret seeing many of them before. But it surely <laughs> right. wasn't like my parents saying, "Hey, hey, you know, son." Life was a lot easier before parents understood cable. <laughs> Th- that's right. Well, well that was that was, was the parents thing. caught on to on TV or cable. That's that's when it all went wrong for kids. That's right. That's how I saw all of the movies. Uh, but yeah, so so I saw Apocalypse Now when I was ten years old, and I've got you know like I don't know four different. DVD versions of Apocalypse Now and Blu-ray, um, and, and there is no way he's he's going to see Apocalypse Now. But but in my judgment, um, the first Spider-Man movie, even though it was PG-13, and even though it was um, uh, it was a bit intense with the uh, with um, Uncle Ben and the, the Goblin and all that, um, it was it was okay because it was in a, in a way it was it was so sort of cartoonish that um it was it was not that oh, yeah. big of a deal yeah. it's it's like a power rangers episode in some ways because the costumes are so inexpressive too right and, and so so in my judgment that was okay um and yet um uh we went and saw with with some friends of ours uh a, a, a friend of mine and he has a slightly older son I think he's twelve or thirteen. Who, who who Benjamin is good pals with. We went and saw Super Eight when that came out, and that one those those two kids 
could had a terrible time oh. with with Super Eight um, because of the um, the intensity of uh, some some of the sequences in that movie. So it, it depends on the kid. It depends on the movie. And so right now, so so I, I don't want to hijack this, but I, I do have a question for the panel because this question just came up um, last night uh, about the Hunger Games. Uh, my and and Benjamin hasn't read the books. No, and he's the, not ready. I know the movie, and I, yeah, I didn't. And, and my and what I told him was, I don't think you're ready. The books are actually pretty dark compared to the movie. Yeah, Jamie has a friend who is reading the books, and I think that's a, I think that's premature. And she's you know she's ten going on eleven, and I think that pushes it. Well, this is the thing I wanted to bring up is is my parents were actually really good about controlling um, what TV and what movies I saw mm-hmm. growing up, but. They left all sorts of books laying around the house, and that's how I got my hands on Mario Puzo's The Godfather in third grade. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing is in the first 17 pages of The Godfather, there's a very, very graphic um, assignation between two people. And as an eight-year-old, not only did I not understand half the words, those words weren't even in the dictionary when I went to look them up on the sly, and I ended up asking a nun about it, and it turned into a big thing. So, you know, (laughs) so like actually top of mind for me is, is... how do, how do you cultivate the again that sense of discovery where your kid is figuring out their own tastes and they're getting into their own thing? How do you cultivate that discovery while um, managing the risk that they're going to end up uh, picking up something or watching something that's that that they're not, that they're definitely not ready for yet? So so one thing um, I'll I'll say about this because I worry about this a lot too. Mm-hmm. And one thing I, I try to remember is that uh, a lot of stuff. Until I was very close to being of an age where it made sense to me, mm-hmm. it completely was over my head. Yeah, and and, and it's a yeah, little bit different with books, with reading, but too. yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have to you have to read, you have to know the words, you have to get it, and even with movies or TV, below above a certain level. I mean, like well, when I was a kid. There were lots of things that that now I'm like, oh wow, that was really dirty, and yeah. I had no idea when yeah. I was a kid, just yeah. no idea. Yeah, to be fair, with the whole Godfather experience, since I didn't get half of the words and didn't understand anybody's motivation, it took me a, a, a few years to realize exactly what was going on. And you presumably hadn't seen very many mob hits at that point. No, no, the mob hits were. Well, that's the thing with reading is, yeah. is 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 they they can only really envision stuff that they've seen. So if they run across. If they've run across, uh, you know, Goodfellas at some point on cable, then it's going to mean a lot more to them than it is if they're just reading it and going, oh, okay, so then he sawed his head off. Okay, whatever that means. Moving on. Let me bump, I want to bump up a level, though, which is, I think, Ben's question. And we, we apparently all are scarred. We all saw stuff, uh, read stuff at too young an age, and we know that. We know now that was too young for us. But that's a question, right? It's what are we protecting our children from? We're protecting them part from we don't want them to have nightmares because we know it's going to be hard for them to sleep, hard for them to function if they can't get these images out of their head. It is a similar argument with pornography is that that some pornography is will be acceptable to adults, some not, and there's all variation around that. But you don't want to have a developing mind that isn't prepared to have the sophistication or the emotional depth or the training to cope with feelings they have. And that's true for this kind of material as well as, you know, more serious things, things about death and, and so forth. So I wonder, like, are we protecting our kids 
too much, are we going to scar them in reverse, like leave them so unscarred as with my children, for instance, that they uh, are immediately crushed on leaving our, you know, our home. They go to college and everything that they've seen and see in the first week leaves them shivering in fetal position in their dorm room. Or, or is this a good course of action? Are we helping them ha- cultivate the right kind of emotional depth and sophistication and awareness that when they see material that we thought we saw too early or read it, that they actually can integrate it better into their worldview or personality? I think as soon as they go off to elementary school, not even high school, not college, <laughs> yeah. as soon as they go to elementary school, you don't have nothing to worry about because their friends will corrupt them to the, an incredible degree with yeah, like, you know, all the curse words, all the sex talk, all of the movies that all the kids who have seen Apocalypse Now are in their class and are totally cool and are going to tell them about the scene. You know, <laughs> I'm, picturing gonna, a, I'm picturing you know, a third grader sitting in the back of the class saying, horror and moral <laughs> terror are your friends. So that's why I've made it my goal to 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 be the to have the kids that seed the rest of the kids in the elementary school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. all the filth. Which is why I, I've taught both my kids the diarrhea song already. Oh no! See, that, that my kids die. came back from elementary school with all these songs. I'm like, oh, diarrhea song's still out there because, like, coming back from kindergarten, your kid sings it to you. You're like, they didn't come up with any new songs in the past thirty years. I guess not. You know. <laughs> Not even any new verses, and and it's good because then then your your kids are amazing. You know that song too. I'm like, yep, I know That's them right. all. They, they tell me the jokes, and like you know the how come you know the, the, the punchline to all these jokes? Like it's the same jokes they told me in first grade. <laughs> and you need some know. disinfectant. Yeah, so I think like all the protection that you do, like they're going to go out and, unless you like homeschool them or send them to like a private school with private, like they're going to go out into the world and there's going to be people with different parenting styles. And like, that's why I'm saying, I don't think you need to cultivate their curiosity because they, they have it and they'll find the stuff and you can't stop them from being influenced by their friends and stuff like that. You know, I, I think I think socializing with your peers uh, is how even the most overprotective parent has their work either done or undone for them, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so, like, you get you get until they go off to some environment where they're with other kids their age for most of the day. And that that's your time to do your best to set this kid on the road and expose them to the things you want to expose them to and everything. But after that, like, you, I, I don't... I'm not into magic cards. I don't like those things. I have a, a pretty low opinion of that type of thing. I would rather be my, my children be into D&D. But they went off, and his all his friends are into magic cards. Now he's into magic cards. I have no say in that. It's just going to happen, you know? Yeah, my my kids were playing Pokemon, made up rules of Pokemon. Oh yeah, because they get into Pokemon when they're too young to figure out the rules. Yeah, yeah, we had a Pokemon, we had a Pokemon infection in my older boys' school, and it's really spread. (laughs) The mimetic virus is pretty powerful. Full credit to the guys at the at the store where my wife bought the Pokemon cards for my son's birthday. Is is they ask, first question they asked her is are they actually going to play it or just look at the cards? And she said just right. look at the cards. I'm like <laughs> okay, then get these. They're cheaper and they're they're more of oh. them. <laughs> um, uh, so Greg Noss, our good friend, who was going to be on this podcast, but he was late because he was helping his kids with with their homework. So <laughs> he so he doesn't get to be on the podcast because he's parenting. Uh, but Greg asked a really good question, which is about video games. That he, I know Greg has had this problem where he's been trying to get good games for his kids, and his boys, uh, who are older than than most of the kids uh, of the people on this podcast, he's trying to find games that aren't like mature rated video games that he's comfortable with them with them playing. And and so I I, I thought I'd ask you guys if if you've got video game experience with your kids. And and what do you do? I mean, our kids are young enough. I think that most of us, the the answer is, you know, I'm I'm I, I, we've got well with Trixie, you know, Lisa, you just kind of don't have to worry about it yet. And then laser pointer. She'll Actually, have an the thing iPad. I worry about is is inadvertently introducing a glass ceiling because I'm not a gamer, and because game culture is still not 
you know, particularly obsessed with gender parity. So, so I worry that she's going to miss out on the sort of cultural signifiers or, or common experiences that, I don't think that so. boys her age are going to have. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I can tell you that, that all of my, all of Jamie's friends are into uh, video game stuff too. And mm-hmm. it really doesn't seem to have any uh, split between boys and girls. Oh, and mm-hmm. they're, they're all, you know, let the, and there's a lot at, at the younger ages, there's a lot of stuff uh, that is really great and appropriate for kids. My concern is that above a certain level, that starts to seem babyish. And that's what Greg has run into, which is above that level, you're basically on into this full-on adult stuff. And what Greg says that he ends up doing is buying the generation older games mm-hmm. so that like Arkham Asylum is rated T for teen, but Arkham City is an M. So you just kind of go back and buy the old game for $9. And, and that's, and that's, but that also means his kids are like hopelessly years behind everybody else in terms of the games. They're there's playing. plenty of games in that gap though. Like there, Lego, there's, you don't go right from Lego star Wars to Arkham City. There's, there's, <laughs> There's, it may seem like there's a gap there because certain titles are popular. And the, the reason there probably seems like a gap there is if your kid goes off to third grade, there's going to be all the cool third graders are going to be playing the rated M mature, you know, Arkham Asylum game. And they're going to tell your child about Arkham Asylum. And then your child's <laughs> going to come home and say, oh, my friends are playing Arkham Asylum. Can I play it? But that doesn't no. mean your kid is ready to play that. <laughs> and and like you can steer them towards games that are also that will be that will actually be more fun for your child. I actually – here again, I will go back to what I said before about it depends on the kid and it depends on the product. So um, so like some of these M games, some some not all M games are created equal. And so, um, so with my son, um, some of the Halo games are M games um, and he's played them because they're – ridiculously cartoonish yeah yeah and and they're they're barely i mean i i, I mean i don't even understand in some cases why they're there's, am, there's cursing am in the there, voiceovers that's, yeah there's yeah, a little bit of that some splatter violence but it's really not right but with that with that yeah. it's, it's it's ridiculous of aliens. so yeah so it's not that not that big of a deal now um i actually uh with uh with arkham city we actually played that together um and so i didn't I didn't have a great problem with that one, but there's other games like I play. You know, I play some of my own. I play a lot of Modern Warfare Three, and there's no way, you know, he plays that, and there's no way he's going to play that on multiplayer where everybody is a is a savage. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so, the, so That's no, putting no, it very lightly, actually. Yeah, no, they're 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 barbarians. So um, I make judgments on a on a case by case basis on a lot of these things, and so uh, there's a lot of the other games he likes. I mean, you know, uh, there's the the Little Big Planet was, uh, uh, you know, we were playing that for a long, long time, and uh, uh, on the Xbox 360 there was that. Uh, oh shoot, I can't remember the name of it now. It's the the one where, uh, oh crap, uh, with the pinatas. Yes, Viva Pinata. That's there what it go. was. Yeah. Yeah, um, and my wife loved playing that with with my son, and so uh, there was a lot of that. Greg says that uh, one of the one of the big things for his his boys that uh, that has been a huge boon is Minecraft because they just spend all their time playing Minecraft, which is not particularly violent. Because it's Minecraft is Legos blocks. without the foot injury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't step on a Minecraft. So, so John, so John, Greg, Greg uh, is in the chat room, and he he wants he demands that you name names name, about name what games yeah. go in between your your Legos and your Skyrim. Wait, what's so, in there? 
So I would say the entire Zelda series will last your children from the age of like <laughs> seven when they can actually play them until like 13 when they're ready to play rated T games because those games take forever to play and they aren't babyish. Like they're sophisticated, complicated, actually yeah. pretty darn hard games and they last forever and there are a ton of them. And I highly recommend like don't, you know, it's like, oh, well, there was just one Wii Zelda game. Let them play the GameCube games. Let them play the virtual console games. For, you know, the, the, I found that my kids do not mind playing a Nintendo 64 game, and I don't even know if they notice the difference between a Nintendo 64 game and a PlayStation 3 game. Yeah, yeah, I don't think... Uh, we and, we, and um, we the turned Mario on the... series, the same thing. Right, those oh, are, yeah. Those are hard games. Like, oh, it's babyish because you have Mario. He looks like a little plumber. But those are complicated, those are really hard. exciting games. I can't games, play those you know? Yeah. yeah. Mario those Kart, are... all those things. Yeah. Well, Mario Kart is the... That's the champion game around our house, even to this day. Uh, but all the all the Mario stuff and and right. uh, and Kirby, the Kirby games are yeah. Are, so some of those start yeah. to get into like oh the thing is here's the thing there these games are going to like oh Kirby is like a babyish game or Mario is or even Zelda because all their friends are playing Battlefield three when they shouldn't be because it's totally not appropriate for kids that age and those are the cool kids right but that does not mean that your kid will not become totally addicted to playing through wind waker even though it's a little cartoony right. zelda right so can, can I, we get a first person shooter with mario uh <laughs> that, the thing about first person shooters is like you're talking about how halo has a cartoony violence and everything like that there's still kind of a game in which you play a disembodied gun floating out of the center of your body constantly pointing at new things to shoot even if it's cartoon violence and even if it's not, even if it's like played for laughs or whatever, there's still, that's kind of a line of like, do I want my child spending all their time aiming their gun at something? And then like, well, magic wand that f- blows bubbles. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> that, no, no. That, and that, and that's no, the, on that point, John, that, that was very much alive in my mind. It was initially. And I think that, uh, in, in that instance, see, again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. I mean, I think I think it. I th- I don't think you can universalize it, and I think it depends on the kid, and I think it depends on on you know, level of maturity and the particular context in which the game is played. And I think again, and also too, you know, I I, I don't let I don't let my my son spend. Uh, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours of uninterrupted gaming time, and you know, and there's and I I supervise a great deal and so um in that instance um it, it was pretty clear that um that you know that that the sort of that sort of shooting violence that you see in in Halo versus what you would have in a in one of the modern warfare games or Battlefield or whatever um there there's there's a although the mechanics of the game are essentially the same uh the um the context, the context is different. Is different. Yeah. yeah. The thing is that that feeling like that, that you have to know your children and depending on your child, children are going to be drawn to these types. Of, I know I was drawn to these types of games. That's why all their friends are drawn to these types of games. And it's not as if you can keep them away from that type of game, but you have to sort of like meter it like you want to give them an right. outlet for this desire to play these types of games. But you don't want to let them indulge it to the degree that they would because many little boys and I assume little girls as well are are savages like if you left right. the, it's lord of the flies right so you, your right. job as a parent to kind of guide that and say you can play a first person shooter but not the one where you you torture people to get information and, and kill iraqi children or you know like you know so and and then limit your time and like try to mix it up with some racing games or you know like just just because some little boy constantly wants to kill things 
doesn't and there are many forms of entertainment that let them indulge those feelings you have to kind of like herd them towards you know you can't you can't cut it off because that's the worst thing you do my parents would not let me own any toy guns and they removed the little slidey lightsabers from my star wars figures arms that went up and down right wow and all that wow. made me do was want that stuff even more and i became oh, yeah. a, ma- a master weaponsmith in my childhood so that's not the answer either right <laughs> <laughs> you have to. I'm just imagining you, yeah. you with a tiny anvil making maces and swords. You, you, in have, your spare you time. have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> right, so like that, so that is, is the <laughs> making the ring of the Nibelungen in his basement. Tiny little ring of the Nibelungen. Yeah, yeah. And so th- like that's what you're, uh, you're kind of fighting with is you have to look at your kid and say how drawn is my child to this type of game uh, and how can I give them an out some outlet for those feelings in a better manner than if if I just forbid it and then they go over to their friend's house and play right. Battlefield 3 which I don't want, you know. Right. To try and try and give them some of what they what they want and make it part of this nutritious breakfast, so to speak, instead of just the gorging on I'm going to just kill everything all the time. And, Although you know. the the counterexample would be if we want to get them to do things we should completely forbid them from you can't play D&D. On my life, you may never huh. look at a D&D book ever. <laughs> kids get Boom. smart fast, though, Glenn. They get smart really fast. We have a running joke in my house is my kids will say something like, when can we watch, you know, The Simpsons or or this movie? I'm like, uh, you know, when you're 43, like, we'll be out of the house, whatever. And one night they're like, I want to, Rex, I think it was Rex, the five-year-old who's an MP, says something like, I think we should all go skydiving as a family. And I said, that's great. You can totally do that. <laughs> A week after I'm dead. Let's put that on the calendar. As soon as I'm dead, you're completely allowed to skydive as often as you want. Yeah. You watch. They're going to make that like your memorial now, as, as Dad always said, because that's how these things dead. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to skydive and scatter your ashes overall. No, they're going to get it state. slightly wrong, and they're going to be like, Dad always said that he wanted to be dropped out of an airplane <laughs> a week after he died. That's the that's the telephone game version of Last Wishes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll they'll take your ashes when they do their first skydive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Good. That's great. I like all those possibilities, yeah. including having my corpse dropped out of a plane a week after I'm dead. <laughs> Fine with me if it makes them happy. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever my children want, I just want them to grow up happy. Knock yourself out, kids. See, I don't. <laughs> no. You don't want your children to grow up no, happy? What do you no, no. Do you want your children to grow up miserable? What? No, I'd like them to. I, I'd like her to grow up with um, a sense of purpose and. The, the tools oh, that she fine. needs to have a productive life. but Send her to Harvard then if that's what you have to do. No, I'm not saying – it's not like that what I'm saying though is I think if you're like, well, I just want them to be happy, I think, you, I think you're actually kind of setting the bar really high because then every time they're unhappy, they sort of feel like they're failing their parents. Well, secretly I, want them to fa- secretly I want them to fail. So if I say I just want them to be happy. <laughs> I have no unhappy son. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd rather have somebody who, who has a sense of who she is and what she wants and what she wants rather than somebody who has to, you know, I'm not happy. How did I fail? Or I'm not happy. I have no idea how to deal with this, you know? I want them to achieve at their level of potential. And if that means yeah. being a ski bum and being a really great ski bum, I'm totally cool huh. with that. Yeah, that was actually the approach my parents took. And then they would append, well, if you're going to be a beachcomber, just remember you have to support yourself. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. But you could be awesome. If you're awesome at it, it's great. Be a really great yeah. destitute beach, beachcomber. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. I'm totally behind that. Something that Lisa said earlier that I really liked is this idea that you're not necessarily forcing your kids, because you kind of it kind of doesn't work, forcing them to like things that you like, but the idea that you create an environment where they're going to, uh, they're going to discover 
um, from you know from these things that you put in front of them, they're going to find the things that they like, and and if they ultimately like things that you don't like, that's fine. But that you you know you have those moments where you think, uh, you know, like my daughter loves baseball, and my son doesn't really, but my my daughter loves baseball. She's got the MLB app on her iPod, and she like will listen. I used to listen to radio broadcasts of games from far away when I would fall asleep at night, and she has the MLB app, and she plays baseball games on the radio on her iPod as she falls asleep. And that's great. And I, you know, it just happened. And I, I, it, 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 it's a wonderful thing. And I, the same way with my son, uh, where, where I tried to encourage, you know, superheroes and comics and stuff. I want the, my kids to be comic book literate because I think that it, it's, it's just the form that, that you got to learn how to read comics. And my wife never really learned how to read comics. And so she doesn't appreciate them in the same way. But I did have that moment with Julian where he said, where we had a discussion of of superheroes, and he declared that Batman was the best superhero, and I was as a as a as a Spider Man as a Spider Man partisan. This tore this tore my heart out, and so we would have long actually debates about why why Spider Man was clearly better than Batman, and 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 the funny thing is when I when I let it drop, and I said I you know I love my son even if he loves Batman. <laughs> I love um, my son even if he loves Batman. <laughs> I love my Batman loving son. By letting it go for a little while, he it, it's amazing. He kind of like uh once he was outside of that kind of discussion, he 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 started appreciating Spider-Man too, right? So in some ways it was like he knew he was disappointing you. I'm hurting my father. <laughs> I can see it in his eyes when he looks at me. Once my uh, once once the pressure was off, then he was actually free to go back and appreciate Spider Man. But it is it, it was really a, a great moment that that I could I could get him uh, exposed to all the great stuff. But uh, he's gonna do he's gonna like what he's gonna like, and you got to go with it and embrace the the stuff that you're excited about and ex- embrace in general that they found things that they love. Um, and the specifics uh, don't matter, and you can't control them anyway. So don't sweat the the specifics. Just be glad that there's <laughs> there's stuff that you love that you yeah. think is valuable and can add to their contentment in life. That and some of it they may actually it may resonate with them. And I think that's all that's all you can really do. Well, I agree, and that's that's why that's why it's a wonderful thing that my son knows that Iron Man is the best superhero. Ah, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. And good. <laughs> this reminds me of a point I wanted to make uh, about about, uh, about kids and their and their taste. And one, one thing we're not mentioning here that I think we'll all agree on is that kids have bad taste. Like they like things <laughs> that are not good because they're not yes, smart. Terrible right? taste. So like a little baby, you jingle you jingle your keys in front of a baby, and like that's the highest form of entertainment ever. You go like I actually. Re- I actually really enjoy finding out what my daughter does and doesn't like as far as music goes because you know, we'll play stuff on the D- on the CD player and you just hear this despairing no from the back seat when she doesn't like something. <laughs> yeah, and so like as they get older, their tastes their tastes change and mature, right? But mm-hmm. so here's the danger when your kids are you know like toddler age or elementary school age is that to them this awesome thing that you love is equally entertaining and valuable as this terrible thing that as an adult you can realize oh this is like the lowest possible form of entertainment and this is high art but to a kid they're exactly the same so my strategy in my household has been look if if they're if it's the same one way or the other like if dora the explorer is exactly the same to them as a pixar movie like they they see no quality difference between these two things but i sure as heck do 
I have said, look, if it's the same to them, I'm going to expunge all entertainment that I know not to be great entertainment <laughs> from from the house. Because, look, if, you know, if I can say, no door the Explorer, try Kiki's Delivery Service, and they like them equally, it makes me feel so much better as a parent to know that, that A, I'm giving them something that isn't just terrible crap, and B, that when they're older... They can say, oh, where's that movie that I saw when I was a kid? And go back and watch it and not have that feeling that we all have, like, when we go back and look at a G.I. Joe episode yeah, and, like, Scooby Doo, watch this every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. and like, what was I thinking? Like, you know, they'll go back and go, you know what? I was a genius as a kid because I love this movie now as an adult, too. You know, that's that's my goal with <laughs> exposing my kids to things that, that are high quality. Thanks, Dad. Is there is there anything that you uh, deny your kids because you think it's crap, even though you know they would enjoy it? Probably, um, uh, I'd have to, to fig- I'd have to figure out what it is. Well, SpongeBob, first. SpongeBob's awesome. <laughs> SpongeBob is the last thing I will ever let my kids watch. <laughs> I deny them stuff not because I'm afraid it's going to ruin their critical faculties or or turn them into you know my numb zombies, but just because I can't abide it. Well, yeah, yeah that that's the yeah. usually primary motivation. <laughs> like I can't have Dora on in my house anywhere ever. Like cannot exist. <laughs> John, I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. Who do we ask <laughs> when we don't know which way to go? Say map. Say oh, it. No. Say it. Back, 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 back. Certain seasons of SpongeBob, early seasons were quite good before it before it went downhill, and I still would never let my children watch them. Too, it's like there's there's a level of subversiveness. A friend of mine, his story is he used to watch with his very young children, watch things like King of the Hill and The Simpsons until the night his four-year-old slaps his wife on the ass and says, get me my food, woman. And that was the end oh, in their household oh, and King in the Hill oh and God. Simpsons and all those cartoons until the children left the house, but I think. that is yeah. a universe away from from SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, like the things that like seem, seem to have no value. Like SpongeBob seems to have no value to me. No, and no, it's no. To SpongeBob, SpongeBob is very funny. There's certain very arch episodes. If you watch the wrong SpongeBob, you think it's terrible. If you watch the right one, it's an incredible indictment, a searing indictment of modern culture. Wow. No, it's actually very <laughs> clever episodes. Some of them. Well, well, well. It's like The Simpsons, right? I mean, I mean, SpongeBob is actually, I think, more attuned to adults and teenagers than it is for toddlers and, and yeah. grade schoolers because everybody is a jerk, right? I mean, Early the show ones. is full of jerks who talk like. Well, jerks, and and it's funny at times if you get like like Glenn jerks. said, get the kind of you know the 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 the, the hinted at uh, stories, but the but the actual stories on the t- surface, what the kids are going to take away from it is just these people are jerks. Wow. And the other thing that I did to try to herd my kids <laughs> towards something good is for most, for like, especially with my first kid, for the first like three years of their life, these children uh, never saw an advertisement and never saw a program that was not educational in some way. Yeah. So like my kids are like raised yeah. on like, you know, Word World, Word Girl, uh, Super Y, right, like, right. Uh, and like those shows, even though they were cloying and annoying, I didn't care because they're learning letters, right? And it, it was almost as if, like, are my kids not going to know that there exists entertainment that isn't also educational? Like, at a certain point, I was afraid that I should show them something that doesn't have an educational component because then I'll be failing them. But that took care of itself. That goes back to building up uh, kind of an inoculation against uh, the outside culture where I discovered, I've said this on the podcast before, uh, we use the DVR so much that at some point we were, we suddenly were watching something like sports or something that was live and my kids had no 
immunity to commercials because they yeah. they had not built up that and they're like oh yeah products can be purchased they're like no 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 let me explain what you're seeing here because they just had no you know we oh. learned to eventually to tune out commercials or knew what they were did, did we we learned even... how to beg our mom to buy the toys what well, we learned yeah but eventually i have the classic my parents the buzz helpless. kills would sit around in reality check the commercials for us Wow! No, I have the classic is my kids were watching some of the NBA. We're at my in-laws' house where they have actual television, which we do not. We're watching the Olympics, oh. and they're like watching the game, watching the game. Commercial comes on. They're like commercial, commercial. NBC commentators come on. And they're like commercial, commercial. Like, <laughs> no, no, those people are actually talking about. No, it's clearly an advertisement. Like, no, those people actually pay. All right, maybe you're right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. They don't know. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I mean, what do other people do about commercials? For us, like like John said, I mean we. We started out with all shows must be educational and have no no commercials. And that's still our favorite thing about Netflix streaming is that we yeah. can watch the same shows that are on TV but um, have them without the commercials because the commercials are so horrible and insidious in a lot of ways. Um, we've gotten to the point now where they see commercials, but like Jason said, they didn't have that immunity built up. And so when they first started seeing commercials, like – they burned into their brain and they could immediately recall them a week later exactly what they saw in that commercial and why they wanted it. I have no immunity to commercials anymore, uh-huh. thanks to a combination of Hulu, TiVo, and, and streaming buy. media. It, I just, I, I never see them. So if I'm watching live TV and a commercial comes on, all of a sudden it's, it's, I, I feel like at the ah, moment, make, car- make it stop. It's like, no, it's like I'm in a cargo cult where I'm like, what is this wondrous product? You must tell me more. Come back on my screen, please. I need to see what's going on. It's, no, it's much easier. I mean, it's much easier to to Dan's point to uh, mm-hmm. isolate yourself from commercials and just because you've got DVRs, so you can fast forward, um, and you've got on demand stuff and DVDs that don't even have it. Uh, although I will, I will say, my kids. If they're watching something like Lego Ninjago, which is itself a commercial, right, John? It's- yeah, I've actually, this is one area where I've actually done Lisa's parents' thing and it explained to my children how all Lego Ninjago is an ad for toys. It's an ad for toys. I've really, sat them inside. down and I've explained this. And just so you know, you can keep watching it. I know you like Legos and everything, but you realize this is just a giant ad for toys. But, you know, and as somebody who works in, in ad-funded media, they always say, well, you know, people like the ads. They're, it's information, too, right? And, I, and you roll your eyes. But my kids, if they've got the remote, and they're controlling it and you know an adult has stepped out of the room and they're watching Lego Ninjago they don't forward past the commercials because to them the commercials are fascinating like oh we could get that that's so cool oh I like this commercial it's really funny and they don't you know I have to yell at them (laughs) it's like fast forward through the commercials stop watching the commercials because I'm uh, they bug me and I don't want them watching them but they love them so you know I think that's kind of interesting too that kids actually kind of like commercials because they're targeted at them right it's like candy can I just say that one of my proudest moments as a parent is when the six-year-old picked up the remote and and said, I know where the thirty second skip button <laughs> is, Daddy, and he uses it regularly wow. um, when watching the show. So we're we feel very like that was a huge. Yeah, I taught both my kids to use the, the TiVo control and thirty second skip like way before they could do anything <laughs> else. They knew how to hit the play button, the pause button, and thirty second skip. And the first time a commercial ever came on for my kids, like I think they were watching a show, and one of us wasn't for once controlling their remote. I think it was my son uh, watching the show, and then the show ended or the show had the mid. 
uh, show break and the commercials came on. And he said, Daddy, something's wrong with the TV. <laughs> he was very concerned. His television is broken. Like, And he had no interest in them. But but as, as Jason said, eventually, as they get older and they get into the target area, those commercials are designed oh, yeah. like guided missiles to make the kids want to watch them. And I do the same thing. I'm like... Don't forget to skip the commercials. For the most part, they skip because they want to see what happens next on Ninjago. Yeah. And there's no way they're going to sit there and sit through something. But occasionally, they're like if a commercial starts playing and it catches out of the corner of the ride, they'll sit there and watch it. And I have to uh, scold yeah. them to go past it. But you can't, you can't, like I said, the whole ads are, all the television shows themselves are just our ads. Uh, advertisements yeah. anyway. There's, there's no escaping we, it. We've had that conversation with our six-year-old, though, about commercials. Like, like Lisa said, where you sit down with them, you say... These are there to, because they're 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 trying to get you to buy stuff. Yeah. They want you to go to the store and buy this thing, and and the six year old is kind of understands that now, and and uh, and, and so we're happy about that. The four year old's not quite there yet. Then he says, "So, Dad, buy it for me." Then. Yeah, buy it for me. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's that's right, the Dad, next well, step. Uh, that's yeah. what I want to happen. Actually, me and the commercial are in agreement on this matter. <laughs> yeah, Julian, what do you want to do for your birthday? I want to go to Target and buy things. Oh. Really. Okay, oh, wow. we're not going to do that. But Ben knows every location within a 30-mile radius that sells Pokemon so, cards by name yeah. and address, See, I think, that's, at this point. That's it. So, um, so um, before we go, because we've been talking for quite a long time, I wanted to go around and uh, and ask everybody uh, to tell me this – is, this is a little bit like in our book club where I ask, what are you reading? I'd like to hear something that your kids um, – something that your kids really like. And it could be anything, but uh, I think that would be kind of interesting of like something, book, movie, TV show, I don't know, music, whatever, uh, something that you and your kids, let's say, really like. Um, I, I think that would be interesting. Maybe it won't be, in which case I'll edit this whole part out. But, um, ben, what is, what's something that your kids like? Well, this is going to sound even worse than the SpongeBob thing. Because, um, <laughs> Commercials, because we're we're sort of SpongeBob cultists. But Benjamin and I, um, Benjamin and I, really love watching a uh, regular show on Cartoon Network. Sweet. Which may, yeah, which may be a little bit um, may not be quite appropriate for his age, but we we get a great big kick out of. Uh, you know the uh, the Blue Jay and the um, rac- raccoon is he? Goddamn, what is, what the hell is he? Um, you know, meddling with 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 <laughs> supernatural forces. And, I love this uh, show about name. which I know nothing. Well, I just I look look I blanked out and I've had a couple of glasses as infidel. So yeah. forgive me. Um, but 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 that's that's the show that that my son and I like to watch. And then uh, and Bella over a Bella, glass of infidel or two. Or three, uh, or and Bella really is into um, right now. She's into um, Tangled, actually, huh. and uh, and the, the thing about that is um, uh, she she likes uh, uh, Rapunzel, but mainly she she wants to uh, she wants to grow her hair really long. So that's I think that's what that's all about. So that's that's my deal. All right, that's great, Dan Frakes. What 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 are your kids liking? Well, before I say that, I just want to say that I know I'm not supposed to do this on the internet, but um, oh, I like hearing about other pe- parents, the way other people, the way other parents do things, and I, I appreciate that. You're not supposed to like other parents. You're not supposed to like other parents' things no. on the internet. I know, I know, but but no, I mean it's for me being a parent has has always been a terrifying thing from before I was a parent and even now because you're creating a human being. Even right? more you're, now, I would say. 
Right, right, exactly. Because now you you see the full impact of it, right? But no, it's a terrifying thing to me, and I'm always trying to be, you know, be a good parent. And I know I know other good parents, and I I like to hear how they do things. So it's been fascinating listening to other things here. Um, that out of the way, uh, the thing that my my older daughter right now loves is Doc McStuffin, and I, I don't know if, how many of you've seen this, but it's a Disney cartoon. And at first, my wife and I were like, oh, no, a Disney cartoon about a girl. But it's um, it's this little African-American girl whose parents are both doctors, and she wants to be a doctor. And she's smart, and she's like the whole, like fixing problems and finding problems and figure, fixing gadgets and stuff. And it was so unlike anything I expected from a Disney show. Um, and I'm actually kind of happy that my daughter likes this because... It's so different than any of the other cartoons out there. And it's still a Disney show and it's still kind of cheesy here and there. But um, the role models it has and, and the things that it that it highlights are, you know, are things that we're OK with. And so uh, we're pretty we're, we're kind of enjoying that she's going through this phase. OK. All right. I hadn't heard of that one. So good. Good to know. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, what uh, what are your kids liking? Well, uh, Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> Pokemon. Pokemon is a mimetic virus. It's you know that South Park episode about the po- uh, Chin Pokemon uh, oh, stuff. Yes. Doesn't seem false to me now. No. Um, there's just something a little too hermetic about it. But uh, no, what we uh, what we like is as a family is Sean the Sheep, which is uh, I don't think it's old favorite. There's even a spinoff about Timmy the Sheep. Uh, it's the little baby sheep going to preschool. The spinoff isn't as good, but Sean, the only thing that's wrong with Sean is there needs to be more and more seasons. It's a very clever show. It's got a lot of good, um, sort of bullwinkly kind of grown up stuff in it. And it is just hilarious. Uh, what's funny is we used to, we watched the show for a while and my wife popped in once and said, nobody talks in the show, do they? We all looked at each other and went, Oh, we have to think about it because they make bleeding noises and other things and the farmer, Makes some noises, but, uh, but it's pretty good. My dad wants us all to watch Phineas and Ferb. He's taken by that. My dad was a Bullwinkle fan, used to watch Soupy Sales when he was in college and, and liked SpongeBob when it was on the early seasons. So I have not warmed his Phineas and Ferb yet, but perhaps when the kids are older, we will. It's good. It's not bad. Phineas and Ferb. Uh, John Syracuse, what are your kids liking? So the, Lego Ninjago. Yeah, there's not a lot of overlap between what my daughter and my son like, and it's not for lack of trying, because we get them all pretty much the same toys. Like, we get them both Legos, we get them both, you know, dolls, but, you know, action figures or whatever, and it's like they just gravitate towards what they want. But they did find one common interest in a television show, and they're forced to watch each other's television shows to some degree because, you know, there's the one TV and they sit on the couch and take turns, right? But the one show that they could both agree on for a long period of time, and they're actually out of this phase now, but I think it's worth mentioning, is uh, My Little Pony's Friendship is Magic. Wow. Holy Jesus. Your kids are bronies? Which is oh. a show that adult men profess f- fandom for. And both both my son and my daughter got totally into this show. My son, who's old enough now to, to, to hide this fact a little bit and like, <laughs> you know... Like we, I remember, I took a picture of him while he was watching My Little Pony. He's like, "Dad, don't take pictures of me when I'm watching," you know. But he was totally into it, and so was my daughter. And this is a show, by the way, that the My Little Pony show is made by I think it's a woman or whoever is the creative force behind this resurgence is someone who played with My Little Pony as a child, but realized that the, that 
her childhood My Little Pony and the things they had back then were crap, and she wanted to make a show that looks to her now as an adult what she imagined, the quality she imagined in My Little Pony when she was a child. So she made a show that is not terrible for adults to watch, that actually is clever and interesting. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, she's retconning her own childhood. Say, My Little Pony was just hollow crap when I was a kid, but I thought it was the best thing ever, so I'm going to make a show now as a creative adult that actually is the best thing ever. And oh, by the way, kids, boys and girls will like it. And I was amazed by that. I didn't introduce the show to them. They found it on their own through the magic of Netflix or one of the other umpteen services we have hooked up to our TV. Uh, and I, I give that a big thumbs up. Wow. Unity between uh, brother and sister. All right. To to which Ben Boychuk replied, holy Jesus. <laughs> Just to throw that in there. Uh, Steve Lutz, what uh, what are your kids liking? <clears throat> well, it's kind of hard to, to center on one particular thing because just the nature of having so much entertainment at their fingertips, we kind of bounce all over the place. Um, you know, they'll go through a phase where we're, we're enjoying a, a particular show or, or – uh, or a movie or something, but that phase seems like it lasts about 30 seconds and then we're on to the next thing. Um, there, there was a, a kind of a Harry Potter thing going on for a while and, oh, yeah. and, and that's, that's kind of over and done with, although it's, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much done. They, they were big on, um, and still are actually big on all the Disney channel shows. Um, I, I can kind of hear Greg Noss from here screaming. <laughs> no. he's, he's not a big fan of those, but, uh, some of them are not, are not terribly bad, and I can. Some of them are even tolerable enough to sit and watch. Uh, well, that may be them. going too far, but yeah, okay. Uh, and there are a few that aren't that bad. I mean, there's there's some that are fairly clever. Good luck, Charlie's not terrible. Uh. Um, there are there are some that you know make you want to claw your eyeballs out, but uh, yeah, there are a few that are decent. And then there was briefly there was actually a sketch show called So Random, which was I guess a spinoff of something called um, Sunny with a Chance. That uh, oh, I forget the girl's name. She had some sort of eating disorder and had to quit. Well, at any rate, her 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 previous vehicle ended, and then the rest of the cat the the show um, was about her being on a sketch comedy show. And uh, when she could no longer continue with the show, and that show was canceled, they actually took the show within a show and made it the show. So so random, which was this show that she had previously been starring in, uh, in Sunny with a Chance, it was now the actual show, which is kind of weird and meta because the characters in the show have, you know, their 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 Sunny with a Chance names. So everybody has a different name than what their actual name is. I don't know. It's it's a it's a little weird. Anyway, um, but we really enjoyed that. I'm not sure if that's been uh, been canceled or not, but uh, that was actually appointment viewing for the family for a oh. little while. Um, lately though, the, the, um, probably one of the the prouder moments of my, my parenting career is that I have managed to get the kids into point and click adventure games, which was something from my youth that I really appreciated. And, um, most recently we've been playing through the first series of the telltale games, Sam and Max, um, which has been pretty enjoyable and they, they, it's fun to watch them kind of work through things, although they get frustrated and give up a lot quicker than I would like, which is kind of something that I'm, I'm trying to work on with them. I, you know, because so they've got other things to do. For us, we had nothing but that screen and the mouse <laughs> pointer. We're going to figure out true. how to see the next screen if it kills us. 
Well, it's, it's really interesting, too, to see the difference between my son and my daughter. My daughter gives up immediately, and she'll ask me, you know, what do I do? And my son, he'll bang his head against the wall for a long, long time before he'll give up. So they have very different approaches to, uh, to the game. But it's, it's interesting trying to kind of walk the tightrope between, you know, I don't want to just walk you through the game. I want you to actually, you know, get something out of it and appreciate that you've, you've managed to solve a puzzle and you figured out the game and, and you, you really feel like you've achieved something when you're done with it. But at the same time, if you don't guide them through at a reasonable level, they, they give up on it and they walk away and then they, they don't get to enjoy the game that that way those, so. game, those games are pretty hard though i mean there's adults who can't get through those so you do have to help out a little bit well the telltale ones i find are all pretty easy which is nice because they're they're episodic and so you know they release one of six episodes every month or something and so each of them is in its own right maybe about an hour and a half long at the most so most of the puzzles are pretty simplistic you don't have six thousand objects oh, you're, in you're your playing the new ones to... not the not the originals that's right. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't really gotten them into the the old ones before because, because they, having, they were harder. Having back experienced in the, day. the ones with the full, they were. Yeah. And uh, having experienced the games with the full voice acting and all of that stuff, it's it's kind of hard to wean them off of that and pull them back to something like Monkey Island, which I would dearly love to get them into. Although in the case of Monkey Island, they have actually released some special editions that with the with the voice acting. So that's probably where we'll go next. Huh. But right now, I'm just trying to ramp them up to where they 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 enjoy the game and. With the kind of simplicity of the short episodic uh, structure, it, it that actually works pretty well for them. So we're having a good time with those. All right, Lisa, what is uh, what is twenty-two month old Trixie liking? She's a toddler. So it, <laughs> no, knuckle bunny. Come on, give her some credit. Um, you know, you're right. I was gonna say it since she's in the phase where her her likes and dislikes change by the minute. Um. Some of the more constant ones, she does love her Knuffle Bunny books, all three of them. Um, and she's got Knuffle. Knuffle. Yeah, it's Knuffle. And uh, oh. it's got, well, what's really, what's uh, interesting you know, to me I, is, is she points out, is she points Marita. out different details <laughs> in the books. Um, now, because she'll point out dogs if she sees dogs. And she does the little fits along with Trixie in the books. Um, so she likes those. Uh, she really, really loves the iPad. And, um, there's a bunch of apps on there that she likes. There's a company called Toka Boca. Oh, yeah, makes, yeah. And she loves the Toka Boca Tea Party. We have tea parties all the time. And she and she and she's very good at dragging and dropping and, 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 you know, getting her bunny to eat the cookies and refill. Um, there is also an app for the old Sesame Street book, The Monster, at the end of this book. And she loves that app. And one of the things that she insists we watch every day is um, the video made by that guy who goes around the world and dances in front of things with different <laughs> yes. people. Uh, the where the where the hell is Matt? She loves the she loves the most recent video, and she will point out when the witch doctor comes up in South Africa, and she's she looks forward to seeing the seal, and she likes she she knows where all the kids are in different shots, and she claps along. And today, when I was showing it to her. <laughs> during the scheduled 10 a.m. showing when I was showing it to her she was actually singing along to the lyrics so she's been you know she she kind of picks up the lyrics and sings along to those too I mean I have a I have a whole reading list because because the first thing she'll do when she gets up is she reads but you know the books that Trixie likes change by the day um she's much more consistent with her videos and her apps coming back around to to me the uh the apps the if I had to pick one thing that my kids like I would say the iPad just as a as a, a device, the number of of apps and and games and just giant time wasters and 
it, it, it is that we have a Wii and they, the kids play on the Wii, but really if there's a device that would be the thing that obsesses them and that they would like to play all the time forever, it would be the iPad. And I think that's yeah. what they're going to think of as their, their, you know, remember when we were kids, what we did, it's going to be playing stuff on the iPad. Um, the only other thing I would say that my kids are liking now is um, my daughter is really into a lot of different uh uh, reality TV, like cooking competition shows, especially like the cupcake show and the cake show and all these other like boss and all yeah, those guys. yeah, all these yeah. shows that I refuse to watch. But the one place where <laughs> where where my um, my kids do have a show in common, uh, other than Lego Ninjago, of course, is uh, the Amazing Race. My kids are obsessed with the Amazing Race, and that's a, a actually a relatively friendly uh, show for them to watch, and their friends are are into it too. So. It's been on for a billion years, but now kids are are discovering the delights of of the Amazing Race. So that's that's a show my kids have in common. Completely different frame of reference for reality TV than we do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, you know, Jason, I'll I'll echo that. My kids, you know, I I talked about TV shows, but my kids would take an iPad over a TV every day, every time. Um, and and you know, it's it's amazing that this kind of thing didn't exist, you know, five years ago. But uh, the interactivity is what they, they like about it. They they would rather do something where they're interacting with it than sit in front of a TV and watch something happen. And, and, and you know, people talk about kids using iPads and iPhones and iPod Touches too much, but there's something to be said for that. It's, that's a good thing, I think. What I think is kind of exciting um, is if you take a look at the direction pop culture is going into, it's very participatory and hands-on. You've got a lot of people who make fan videos and, and, and super dubs, and um, they'll take what – I mean, it seems like the attitude among teenagers and 20-somethings now is that commercially produced pop culture is just source material for them to do something new and original and funny. And I, I think that's kind of exciting, and we're raising a generation of kids who see interactivity and remix culture as their birthright. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes in the next 10 years. Yeah. De- definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a big deal. Well, this brings us to the end of this uh, lovely parental guidance edition of The Incomparable. <laughs> Um, and that this is, we, my kids and I were watching back to the future and there are some bad words in there. And when we started, I said, it's rated PG. And I, I said, I, I'll guide you when necessary. And then whenever there would be a bad word, I'd say guidance, guidance. That was a bad word. Don't say that word. <laughs> and then we would just continue on. Um, so anyway, uh, this has been great and, and, uh, a little off the beaten path for us. And, and yet I, you know, this is, uh, for those of us, who are parents. This is the stuff we grapple with day in and day out. And I think it's fun to view it sort of in the context of the incomparable and the kind of media and stuff that we're interested in ourselves. So uh, thank you all for being here. And now I'll thank you individually as is my custom Glenn Fleischman. Thank you for being here. Thank you, young man. (laughs) Thank you. Old, old grandpappy. Hey, (laughs) Uh, Steve Lutz. Thank you for being here. It's nine 50 PM. Do you know where your children are? We're on podcasts. We we. Why would we know that? Uh, I have no idea. My my son once wrote a a, a thing about his parents, and he said he said at night my daddy does podcasting. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> uh, uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's great having you, um, Dan Frakes. Thank you for coming back on so soon. Yeah. No. Thank you. And thank you to everybody actually for for. Uh 
all the all the insight. It was interesting. Yeah, this was great. Ben Boychuk, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. We need to have you on more often. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, I really feel like I need a Krabby Patty right about now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And John Syracuse, thank you, as always, for being on The Incomparable. My pleasure, Jason. And until next time, this is Jason Snell signing off. Thanks for listening. <laughs>